Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. The title of today's message is The Unholiness of Unwillingness. That's a lot of nesses. The Unholiness of Unwillingness. And I'm going to warn you at the beginning that this might be difficult. This might be one of those hard-hitting sermons, okay? Uh, but I am, do not want to be a cheesy, surface-level teacher or pastor. I want us to go deep, and I believe that today, I hope that the Lord is going to call us, and we are going to be challenged to go deeper, and, and it may be uncomfortable may be uncomfortable. I just want to get that out there so you don't write hate messages to me at the end saying, you didn't warn me, but there is tissues if you need to need anything in the chairs. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your indescribable love, but also your incomprehensible holiness. And Lord, I don't mean to use big words. I, I want to be simple in what I say to you. But Lord, you are more, more holy than we'll ever uh, know in this life. You are so holy. And, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But it is a wonderful thing to fall into the arms of the living God in love. So God, I pray, uh, Lord, that we would make wise choices and that we would surrender fully every part of rebellion it's in our hearts, and we would give it all up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we have been studying the burning bush. We've been going through the book of Exodus verse by verse. We've been now in the burning bush for three or four weeks. This is God's interview, you could call it, of Moses. And, and so we're going to finish our study of this interview today. And first, I want to go back a little bit to just remember how Moses got here. Remember, he spent his first 40 years where? In Egypt, right? And he was learning all that the world has to offer. Egypt is a type, it's representative of the world. And so after the 40 years in Egypt, he was in where? The wilderness, the desert. He was in solitude, he was away from the world. But being in the world or being out of the world in the desert, had little effect on how equipped Moses was to accomplish the task that the Lord wanted him or wanted to do through him. See, Moses had grown out of trusting in the world, but he was still needed to learn to trust in God. So in the first 40 years, he, was lear he, he learned that he was pretty awesome. He was trained in all the wisdom of of the Egyptians. He learned everything. He was mighty general in their army. He really had some skills. Then the next 40 years, he, he was convinced and it got beat out of him that he had any skills. Okay. But that just produced a weak and broken guy because Moses had yet to really put his trust in the Lord. And I just fear that sometimes... We, we get out of trusting in the world. We know the world system is broken, but we have yet to really put our trust in the Lord. And Moses here, he's learning he, during this interview process. God is convincing him and teaching him how to really put his trust in the Lord. He's still 
lacking, even though he's 80 years old, he's lacking when it comes to being able to walk in the power of the Lord God, just like many, many believers are today. Many of us don't want anything to do with the world, but we're, we're lacking when it comes to having real spiritual power in our life. You know, he's able to, or many people are able to describe God, or, or even they go to church, and they can look the part. They pray, they sing, they can even quote a Bible verse. But to actually be enabled by God and equipped by God through the Holy Spirit is a different thing. And faking it is actually the definition of legalism. When you fake true spirituality, you're just looking like it. Okay, we're, we're not going to get too into that. But true spirituality must be supplied by God. It must be done by God through Jesus because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Right, you guys are so well taught. So that's the first, the background of what we're talking about. Secondly, God has fully revealed himself to Moses. So as we started looking at the things God was saying at this burning bush, he said, I am holy, when he told him to take off his sandals. You remember that? So he's informing Moses of his holiness, that you can't just approach me like you approach everything else. I am different. I am better. I am more important than everything else in your life. Take your shoes off. Okay. Secondly, he said, I make promises, and I keep them. And that's when he brought up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses' ancestors. And God is saying, I am fulfilling now the promises that I made to them. I am a promise-keeping, promise-fulfilling God. I make promises. Thirdly, he explained to Moses, I am sufficient. When he said, my name is, I am. Meaning, I am anything you need. I am everything you need. I am able. I am sufficient is what that means. I am the I am. Then he said to him, I will be with you. Moses, I love you. I'm going to be with you through this whole journey. Next, he explained, it is going to be difficult for you, Moses. Pharaoh is not going to listen. In fact, that's why I made him the Pharaoh. Because I knew he wouldn't listen, so I raised up this hard-headed, stubborn man to be the Pharaoh at this time just so that it would be more difficult, so my power could be seen, my glory could be seen. If he just walked in and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh's like, okay, then God wouldn't have to do any of the miracles that he did. But God set it up so that he could do these wonderful miracles. Why is my life so difficult? Well, maybe God is just setting it up so that he can do miraculous saving miracles in your life as well. The last thing about God's character that he has explained to Moses is that I will win the day, Moses. I will win. You will all end up back here on this mountain. It's going to be a sign. Big deal. So all of this was the things that God showed Moses here so far in the burning bush. Then last week we saw, thirdly, that God gave Moses three supernatural signs that he was empowered to be able to do. The ability to do God's work that God has put before him. 
The first two that we studied last week, they uh, taught a lesson to Moses. And the third was for all the people that would reject the first two signs. The first one was when he took the rod and he cast it down. And this was the secret to overcoming Satan, which is the rod that was in your hand, which we learned spoke of grace. You have to lean on that grace, depend on that grace, rely on that grace, or the enemy will be able to scare you and keep you from accomplishing your mission. So grace, keep it in your hands. Keep depending on it, keep relying on it. Secondly, the sickness in his heart. The second sign for Moses, he put his hand in his bosom, took it out as leprous, took his hand back in, put it back out. It was, it was made right. And this spoke of the fact that, Moses, you're still a sinner. You need me. But I will take care of your sin problem. I am that kind of God. But you've got to stay close to me. Believe my gospel. The third was the blood poured out. So if he took water from the Nile River, he could pour it out and it would be blood. And this was a lesson for all the people who rejected Moses' first two signs. He said, you will be judged. And that is the message of those three signs. So today, we are going to see the response of Moses to all this revelation, all of this empowering, all of this teaching. And you might think, if you were in Moses' sandals or bare feet, right now, you might say, okay, God, I'm all in. Let's go do this. But what does Moses do? He makes an excuse. He says, I can't talk good. I can't talk good. Let's read in chapter 4, verse 10 is where we start. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before you, nor before, nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Literally in the Hebrew, that's heavy-tongued. He felt like he had a heavy tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, and the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. That's Moses' response, and then God's response back to him. Moses says, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow in speech and slow of tongue. I have spoken to many people who simply believe that they cannot be truly used by God because they don't have public speaking skills or they don't have the confidence to talk about the Lord in a conversation, no matter who it's with almost. They're just timid. They're just intimidated by those type of conversations. But I want to tell you this. Dead men are never made alive by smart words or clever stories. That's not how it works. Only by the power of God working through a humble and faithful person. There are motivation for maybe, maybe the Lord has called you to be a pastor or a speaker of some sort. That's, that's very public speaking oriented. But maybe he just wants you to talk about him 
in normal conversations life. And that's mostly where all of our witnessing happens, as in one-on-one conversations or small groups or something like that. But a lot of us are just so scared. But God says the motivation for us sharing and speaking up during those times is not about you and what you say. You don't have to try to come up with wise sayings. I know that we're worried and we're concerned about what are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm a Jesus freak, Bible-thumping weirdo because I brought up the name of Jesus in our conversation. That's, that is what we think. But we have to know that God says it's not wise words. It's my spirit working through you. And the more humble you are and faithful you are, that's what makes you usable in my hand. That's what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul begins chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians by explaining this to the, to the people there in Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is pretty clear about how he came. He didn't try to convince anyone of anything. He didn't try to impress people with his knowledge of the context of the situation or the word of God. He just said, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's all I know. That's all I want to share with you. You can be saved too. Wow. Now, I want to read to you in, the, in the, another translation um, just to give you, just sometimes it's good to hear it from two different perspectives. He said, When I came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I did not use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I like that one. It's good. It helps me think in maybe a different way. If you're called to be a pastor, a missionary, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, or a student, or employee, or anything else, whatever your calling is right now, you cannot use, or excuse me, God cannot use you if we depend on our own wisdom, our own skills. He doesn't use that. We must forget everything except for the power and provision God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means you've got to pray first. What does that show? It shows that you're dependent and you're trusting in the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to speak up before I shoot one of those little arrow prayers up to you and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to speak something, but I need it to be you. And you speak that, you, you do that in humility, and then you step forward in faith saying, whatever God has put on your heart to say. Moses was well aware of his inability to speak the way that he would like, the way that would impress people. So he brings this up as a reason why this is not going to work, God. I don't like this arrangement. But God responds with this. He says, who made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go and 
I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Moses, I know everything about you, he says. I'm intimately acquainted with all of your weaknesses. I know everything about everyone. And this is not a challenge for me, Moses. I can and will overcome this challenge, but I need you to trust me. That's what this is saying here. Moses, your weakness is not the problem. In fact, I'm more glorified when I use weak people. God says, I've overseen everything in your life, and it's led you to this point, including the things that have left lasting problems in your life. I don't know why Moses had this speech problem, but he did. So if God has made me weak or allowed me to be weak or tempted by something or unable to do something that I think I should be able to do, shouldn't I just accept my fate and not even step out and doing what I think he's called me to do? Isn't everything already just determined in this world? This is just the way things are. These are the type of thoughts we have, and that's called fatalism. Everyone say fatalism. It just means all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable, and it doesn't matter what you do. And actually, the, let, let me just read you. David Guzik, which, by the way, is really cool. David Guzik uh, announced last week that he's leaving his church to just focus on writing. He writes great commentaries. Um, so he's at Calvary Chapel of Santa Barbara. He's leaving his church, and the Calvary Chapel Vale pastor, Tommy Schneider, he's moving to Santa Barbara this week to take over his church. And then our good friend, um, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank, from Calvary Belmar, Nate Morris, thank you. He is moving up to Calvary Vale this week to take over Calvary Vale. And then they have a new pastor over at I don't know why I thought, well, just David Guzak. This is what he says. Just thought I'd make the announcement. Uh, He says, There is not the slightest sense of fatalism in this declaration of God's sovereignty. It is never, God is so mighty we can't do anything, but it's always, God is so mighty he can work through us if we make ourselves available. That's where we stress the mighty sovereignty of God is he's willing to use even you. That's pretty cool. So Moses here, he objects on his weakness and God responds with a promise to meet his every need. Did you know that's what happens every time we approach God in humility? He, we confess our weakness to him and he doesn't respond by saying, yeah, you're a loser. That's not how he responds. Did you know that? Maybe that's what you've heard, but that's not, that was maybe a family member answering your prayers. But no, God responds with, I know you're weak. I know you're weaker than you even think, but when you confess a weakness to me, I respond with a promise of my sufficiency and my willingness to be what you need. We'll see how this works out practically in our life a little bit later. Why would God choose Moses if he had such problems? And me. If I have such problems, well, his ways are higher than our ways. He is glorified in showing his strength in weak people. That's why I love looking around our church. I, just, I didn't mean anything except 
just, I love you guys. <laughs> the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And what the world highly esteems, God hates. Now, why don't you think God won't use you again? What was that reason why you don't think God has, could use you powerfully in your family, at your job, and in your ministries? What was that again? Oh, you have no excuse. We don't. He is willing to use you because he chose you in the beloved Jesus. That's where the glory of his sovereignty comes out, is that he chose us in him because he loves us and wants to use us. Your problems are not problems to God. They are simply opportunities to show how powerful God is and how sufficient he is for his beloved and chosen people. That's how cool this is. Our weaknesses highlight his strength. So why do we go around hiding our weaknesses? Why do we avoid confessing our sin and our weaknesses to the Lord? It only delays how God can use us. This is the promise God made to Moses, and we can grab this promise by faith as well. He says, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what to say. You say, I got problems. God says, I got promises. I like that one. Came up with that one all by myself. <laughs> well, this should be the end of it. I mean, we should be just a, a humble group of people just yelling our weakness and trusting in the Lord fully, but it doesn't end there generally. I and mean, sometimes we see a person who just comes to know the Lord and all of a sudden they're just, I am nothing and God is everything. And they walk forward with such faith and victory. You're like, how come I don't have that type of victory in my spiritual life? And that's why. You know, we could be moving on to steps of obedience and victory when we have God's promise and we put our faith in it. But Moses has a real problem. And it's not a lack of information, because God's already dealt with that. It's not a lack of training. God's already promised that. It's not a lack of ability, because God has dealt with his weakness and made promises about what strength Moses would receive. God answered each and every one of his deficiencies. The problem Moses has is unwillingness. Now, let's look. But he said, Moses... Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So check it out. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses says, send anyone but me, God. And this is the real heart of the issue revealed to us. And it's nice that Moses who wrote this all and edited all the first five books of the Bible. It's nice that Moses records this event for us, and it actually is one of the reasons why the Bible can be trusted as inerrant and perfect and flawless is because it, over every other ancient text, highlights the weaknesses of its heroes instead of just all their strengths. You go read the other books about, like just other ancient literature, and you will find they ignore the weaknesses and sins of the heroes 
and focus on the good parts, we get the opposite. We get the truth. And this is the first time we see actually Moses getting ang- or God getting angry with Moses. God never got angry at Moses for his questions. You realize that? He never got angry when Moses needed more information or needed more assurance or when Moses confessed his inabilities and his weaknesses and his sins. God, that never made God mad. The only thing that made God mad is when plain unwillingness came out. That is not the right answer, buddy. Moses, no. Because the real problem was with Moses was never a lack of ability, but lack of willingness. Moses would rather, check this out, disobey the command and calling of God than face his fear of going back to Egypt. And many people in church do the same thing. They hear the command of God to go into this world, to, to make disciples, to share the gospel. We all have that command. If you haven't heard it, ha now you have. You're all responsible for it now. Go share the gospel. And then we walk out the door. And then we continue to live the life we were living before. Unwilling to go where he's called us to go. Unwilling to surrender our plans, our time, our life, our securities. Unwilling. Hoping nobody ever checks in on us, checks up on us. Hoping the pastor never calls us on who we're sharing the gospel with this week or who we're discipling this week. That's the whole point of the church. Jesus said, go, share the gospel with people, and make disciples. That's it. That's the whole mission of the church. We don't need to have big vision ceremonies because Jesus already gave us it. Share the gospel, make disciples. Done. We don't like it. God gets angry at unwillingness. No creature in heaven or on earth would dare disobey the king of glory except man. We're the only ones. Alligators do exactly what they were made to do. Cats are demonic. Bacon is delicious. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but... Man is the only disobedient thing in the entire universe. We're the only ones. Even his redeemed children, even the church, were so guilty of this many times. But the Lord, he's angry, but he's also kind. And I want to specifically bring this up to you guys. He doesn't lose control. Do you have a temper? I do. I have a temper. My kids know how to push my buttons and get that temper out. And only by the power and submission to the Holy Spirit can I overcome that. I know that there's things that get us angry, but we need to learn from the Lord that even though the Lord was angry, he didn't lose control. Look what happens he goes back to his nature, to what? He supplies Moses' needs. Well, Moses doesn't deserve it because he's unwilling and he's being a goofball goober. 
Why would God meet his needs? Because God is just like that. Even when his child is being stubborn and rebellious, God is loving and kind. Now, God will discipline. Check this out. He said, this is God's response, his supply for Moses. He says, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he's going to be glad in his heart. Now, you should speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you should do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. Important word. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. But I want you guys to make no mistake. Even though this got Moses through his difficult time, it was still a rebuke from the Lord. And that's what God can do. He, his loving kindness, his grace, can produce repentance in our heart. And by the end of Moses' life, Moses is going to be like, Aaron has been such a pain in my romp. He's been such a pain. Aaron was a spokesman. This means he was like a news reporter. You could imagine him saying, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> He's lots of talk with no substance. He would read anything put before him on the teleprompter. Anything. And when Aaron ever gets a chance, as we see the book of Exodus and we see the Bible, whenever he gets a chance to do something significant, he royally messes up every time. Because he is not Moses. He's not the pastor. He's a spokesman. You remember the golden calves? That whole incident? That's Aaron. That's a, that's a fruit of his labors. Uh, his children were full-on wicked idolaters working in the temple. Wicked kids. And one time he led an open rebellion against Moses. Just like, we're going to kill you and take control of the country. And God had to swallow them up in the earth. Aaron is not really the help that Moses was expecting. And this is so like us, guys. But I want you to see also that God was working behind the scenes and he had already known this conversation was going to happen. And he's already pulled Aaron out of Egypt and he was already on his way to meet with, Les, with, with Moses. But don't forget this lesson that Aaron was not really what Moses needed. He wasn't. And we are more ready to virtu trust in virtually anything besides the living God. Let me say that again. We are ready to trust in virtually anything before we are willing to trust in the word of God, the living God speaking to us. God promised Moses, I will teach you, I will be with you. Moses is like, I don't want to do it. And God says, what if Aaron comes along with you? And Moses is like, sign me up. Why? Moses was finally moved to obedience when he's joined by his weak and fleshly brother. Seriously, Moses? 
The living God appeared to you out of a burning bush and promised you that he would teach you and be with you and be everything you need and you're not willing to obey. But before we all pick up our rocks to start stoning Moses, I have to confess that I just tricked you. Because this whole story is really about you. It's a mirror that we can hold up to our own heart. Just like the mirror Jesus has when he says, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. You guys read that verse in the Bible and you're like, okay, Jesus, Ferrari. I mean, Jesus, I just, yeah. You see, that verse is a test. It's not untrue, but it's true for the servant of God whose heart is surrendered and submitted to the Lord's kingdom over his. He spoke those words to his disciples, to those who had surrendered everything of their life for the glory of God alone. If that's who you are, that you just want God's kingdom, yes, ask what you will. You see a need of God's kingdom, you're going to be asking, Lord, equip this person. Lord, bless this person. Those are things you're going to be asking for. The moment you start asking for money for the sake of money, for cars, for blessings for yourself, you already know it's not going to happen. Okay? That's a test. Well, this whole story we just read is a test and it's a mirror for us. It shows us our heart. And I'm going to ask you, what did it reveal to you? God asked Moses very simply to trust in his grace, his supply, his power. Trust in my grace, Moses. And grace is the power that flows into the life of someone who responds to the promises of God in humility and faith. Let me define that for you again. Grace is the power that flows into the life of someone who responds to the promises of God, the word of God, in humility and faith. And these promises that we read about, that God made to Moses, they've all been made to you. Every single one of them has been made to you, and it's not even a stretch, and we have to apply it through this, that, or the other. Jesus has just said, I will be with you, and I will give you everything you need, as clear as day. But do you respond like Moses? With unwillingness. Do you say... I know that God says he will be with me and supply everything that I need through Jesus Christ, but I don't want to go. He can send someone else. I'm happy and comfortable with my life where it's at right now. And all those lost people that I should be going to can just die and go to hell. Is that how we think? Now, I don't know from your behavior. I can't tell what the answer is in your heart. Are you just so comfortable and happy in your life that you're not going to speak up and share the gospel? Someone calls you and says, I am having a really rough time, and you know this person's an unbeliever. Do you speak to them and say, Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He can take away your sin by faith in him. Join me at church. Learn his words. Learn his promise. Let's serve the Lord together. Do you speak those words? Or do you say, I'm so sorry. You want to go bowling? 
I don't know. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries to China the world has ever seen, he came back to England in his 20s, and he'd already been in China for a dozen years or so, and he's sharing at a pastor's conference and church conference about the, the needs in China. And, and at that point in time, there was a grand total of, I think, 80, 85, something like that, missionaries in the entire country of China. For 500 million people in the 1800s, there was 80 missionaries. And Hudson Taylor is explaining this and explaining the, the, the Chinese person, the, their need and how spiritual they are and how they respond to the gospel and how they just need people to go and tell them the gospel. And by the end of this, he said, listen, I'm not asking you if you're called to go. You need to think if you're called to stay because the need is so great. You have to have a really good reason for not going between you and the Lord. Yes, you have to learn Chinese. Yes, you're probably going to die. I don't care. The need is there. Are you going to seek the Lord and be empowered by the Lord to meet the need? Or are you going to let them die? Well, I'm not trying to convince you to move to China. Although if you want to, go for it. But we live in Denver like the most wicked city on earth. And there's so many people lost and dying. Can we have strategies of how to reach them and how to share the gospel? Sure, but I don't care about your strategies because I'm just looking for willing people, God would say. Just someone who's willing to be embarrassed and laughed at. Someone who's willing to give up their life for my kingdom. I'll answer your prayers. You give up your life for my kingdom and you want to pray for someone's heart, I will answer that prayer and give you that person's heart. But you're just half in and you're like, oh, I wish this would be easy. Lord, save everyone in Denver. Amen. He's not going to answer that prayer. There is a vast, sweeping unwillingness in the church today to trust only in the grace of God. To believe his promises. Number one is because a lot of people don't know his promises because they don't teach the Bible verse by verse in their churches. Or the pastor, if he's teaching topical, that's great. But if he doesn't spend time teaching on the promises of God, how are they going to know? Number two, there's one group of people that have a hard time with God's promise and, and that, that specific, uh, we'll, we'll describe them as, as legalism, Okay? which discounts the need for grace based on performance I attempt to accomplish for God. They trust in their own efforts and abilities to keep every law, and it's totally wrong. And Pharisees are our example of what legalists look like. Uh, they were big on efforts, but small on sincere fulfillment of the law from the heart. They would tithe of their Salt, taking one grain of salt out and keeping it, and they would do all their spices like this. And God is like, I never asked you to do this. You guys are crazy. God said, I said, love the poor and you hate them. You treat them poorly. It doesn't work because the internal person 
is still evil no matter how hard you try. That's why legalism doesn't work. There's no heart change. The other side is licentiousness. And that is a big word that means you think you have a license to sin, which discounts the need for God's grace because they just disobey his commands. So both of these, you know, the licentious person, they just trust in their own judgment of right's right and wrong. Oh, I can smoke whatever I want and do whatever I want and treat people however I want because Jesus died on the cross and saved me from my sin and he'll just, he'll just forget it all. Boys will be boys. And they ignore the clear commands of the word of God. Yet, the truth about God's grace is the real solution to both of these problems. You see, if you tend to be towards legalism, the uh, tendency is to say, okay, I need more licentiousness. Let me just take away some laws and then I might be where God wants me to be. You need to loosen up a little bit. No, that's not the solution. It's not the solution. And if someone's a legalist, someone might come in and say, you know what would help you? More laws. Let's just load you up with more laws and commandments and that will help you. But that doesn't help at all either. Because they both ignore the truth that God's grace is the only solution. God's promises. If you're licentious, you surrender to the Lord's word in humility and say, I'm wrong. This is what it's supposed to look like. If you're legalist, you say, I got to trust his word also, that I'm wicked, and I got to surrender to his power, not my own. And I got to abide in him, not in rule keeping. God's grace is the answer for both of these problems. And look, our text in Exodus even points us back to this, showing us the solution. The last verse that we look at, it says, And you shall take the rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. See, God, we've already established that this rod represents grace, speaks of grace. God brings Moses' attention back after Moses was unwilling, and God says, you're making me mad. He says, Moses, the only thing you need to focus on is grace. My power flowing through you. And Moses, you can't get away from this. And it'll work, Moses. You trust in me, it will work. God brings everyone through this same process, the same interview process is going on with you today where God is saying, if you're unwilling, the only solution for that is coming back to my grace, coming back to my promises, humbly engaging with them, looking at them in faith and believing them. Take up that rod, he said to Moses. Take up God's grace, he says to you. Trust in and depend on my power and my supply in your life, and then you step out in obedience. That's where willingness comes from, when we actually can have confidence in the power that's going to flow through us. You guys can speak words to your children, to your families, to your coworkers, because God promises to equip you. He promises. If you'll come to him, and trust him, and believe in his words. I could preach a thousand, I could preach to thousands. And maybe you're not called to preach, but are you married? Then you are called to serve that one person with the words of God.
You're you're called to speak into their life what they need from the Lord to serve them. And I want to get real for you. Just we're at the end. This is when the hammer comes down. Willingness is a very big deal. And it's really connected with faith, living faith. Husbands, those of you who are husbands, those of you who will be husbands, those of you who know a husband anywhere in your life, are you sacrificially serving your wife, being everything that she needs? No. You expect them to serve you first? Well, then you're being just like Moses, disobeying God's command because you just don't want to do it. God would give you the grace if you trusted him and his power in humility and faith, but you don't see it because you're just unwilling to take up the grace and do the the signs or the loving actions that we want to see. Obey the word of the, of the Lord and love your wife sacrificially. Wives, you thought you were going to get away. Are you honoring and respecting your husbands? No? You like to yell at them? Manipulate them? Oh my. Well, you and Moses seem to have a lot in common as well. Directly disobeying the command of God because you're unwilling to trust him and his commands. It's not about your goober husband. Nope. It's a you and Jesus problem. God would give you the grace to lovingly submit if you would trust him and his power in humility and faith. But you don't see it because you're unwilling to take up the grace and do the signs. Obey the word of God. Love your husband with honor and respect. Moses, he's been thoroughly instructed on how to walk by grace. And God will provide all that he needs. And to reject God at this point would be crazy, we would say. Yet, all of those who refuse to obey Jesus today are doing the same thing. We say, I don't care that you've promised me all these things in your word. I just don't want to follow you. That's the real point. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple, guys? Then take up your cross and follow me. Say no to self, death to self, and find life in me alone. Is it you? Have you been unwilling There's only one thing to do. Repent and believe the gospel. It's not magic words, but it's actually stepping out to obey the commands in every part of your life, depending on his promises called grace. I don't know what's going through your head or what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of. Maybe it's something that you're into. Maybe it's something you spend your time on. Maybe it's some... Uh, indulgence, maybe it's some unwillingness, maybe it's silence. I don't know what it is in your life. But Jesus says, I am the Lord your God, and you should have no other gods before me. Well, isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? Isn't that the law? Yes, it is. He says, you should have no graven images. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. 
You should be remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. You should be honoring your father and mother. Mother's Day. You should not kill or hate, Jesus said. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't covet anything. Oh, that's the law. Yes, that's the law. But see, grace fulfills us to keep those laws. So we don't just throw those laws away. We hold them up as the standard, and then we say, I am weak to meet that standard. I can never meet that standard, so Jesus, I need you. And we look to Jesus, we call upon Jesus, and in him, he says he came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to what? Fulfill it in you. He fulfills it. You trust in him, you abide in him, looking to him in prayer and reading the Bible, responding to him in humility and faith, and he equips you to do, keep all these commands. We're not just called to keep these commands, though. We're called to go out and serve him and be a witness and be a light. This is a lot that we're called to. And the only way we're ever going to accomplish it is full surrender, fully abiding in Christ. Don't fade away. Don't fall away. We've gone long enough. This is our time in the Word today. Thank you guys so much for tracking with me. It was tough. It was it was intense, so we need to stand up. We're going we're gonna to sing a song. You know, God's promises work in an interesting way. If you believe one of them, you kind of get credit for believing all of them. And a really interesting thing is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. If you can just believe that, receive that, engage with it, say, yes, Lord, there is no other way except you, Jesus says, you are well on your way to the Father You have salvation because my promise is to be with you. And the way Jesus accomplished that is that he died on the cross. He gave us his life in exchange for our sin. He took our sin away. And it's a a beautiful thing to believe in. That's the simplicity of the gospel. He rose again on the third day so that we could know that that offering was accepted before God. Our sins are taken away. And life now is offered to each and every person through Jesus Christ only. So that's the gospel. We're going to now sing a song just to praise him, just to surrender all our life to him. Jesus, I love you. Your word breaks down my defenses, Lord. It it causes me to repent because you're so holy. God, you give us more than we could ever imagine. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to confess and repent of unwillingness. And thank you for Moses being such a humble guy that he would um, write this story down and, and recall this event so that we could learn to trust in God's promises. Lord God, you are, are very faithful to your word and your promises never fail. Your word never comes back void. And God, if I... If we were to open it up and just give each one of us time to praise you, the sound would be uh, beautiful.
to your ears. And I just pray that you would work in our hearts full and complete obedience and willingness to trust your grace alone. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.